like to disappear? Disappear? Go undercover. You know this man? Who's he? same physical type what about him skip late 20s 140 150 pounds dark hair dark eyes have you ever seen him before i want to send you out there to see if you can attract this guy how where my best trade voice <laughs> for this ah. crazy movie. Well, it's a, good, it's a good voice. Everybody out there listening, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the, the movies, movies that made us gay. gay. Oh boy, this movie. Yeah, the infamous movie. The infamous Cruising from 1980, yeah. directed by William Freakin. And we had to really dissect this movie with a returning guest, Mike Toscano Yay. from Sleepaway Camp. Welcome oh, back. back. <laughs> the love. Welcome back to the show, man. For this rascal of a movie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, this movie. So oh, cruising. <laughs> I may or may not be wearing my rough trade harness. And yellow hanky. Yeah. We'll leave that up to the imagination. I want actually. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "Oh, I wish I had a harness, but I don't own one." <laughs> well, it's it's interesting with like just sort of the leather community that it's turned so mainstream yeah. that just your fucking pedestrian gay guy in Los Angeles just has a harness in his closet. <laughs> True. Well, we've got we've got rough trade right there on yeah. Sunset Boulevard. It's easy to just walk in and. Uh... And grab yourself some some leather or uh, neoprene, yeah. Or uh, there's I mean, yeah. fabric harnesses because that's the thing now is that you just <laughs> don't have leather as an option. You can have neoprene. You can have like those like seatbelt materials. I mean, I say this all the time, but uh, growing up in the '90s, when you wanted to go and get yourself a studded leather belt. Or a leather cuff with a little loop on it. You had to trek your ass down to Melrose and walk into a punk store past the like mm-hmm. dirtbag shithead employees who are looking at you cross-eyed because you're like this little kid They're from like, the Get valley. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and you had to ask them, can I have a studded belt, please? Because they were behind the counter. You couldn't just go to the mall and pick one up at PacSun. 
like these damn kids can now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Guilty. I mean, uh, I just would walk into Hot Topic at the mall. Yeah. Oh, I got yeah. my studded belt from Hot Topic. See? No, I had to go to. That's re- awful. I had to go to Retail Slut on Melrose. We're going to Melrose. I had to go to Retail Slut with my friends on a school day, and yeah, walk past the smoking like dirt bag shitheads that worked there and point out the like leather cuff bracelet and studded belt that I wanted from behind the counter and you know hey I got it. What was the other place on Sunset? Was it Balls? Oh, I don't remember. I think there was a place called Balls. Yeah. There, on Melrose. I think it was called Balls. I yeah. think that the Urban Outfitters is there now. See? Mm-hmm. You replace Balls with an Urban Where is yeah, this city gone? I, I miss the seedy LA of this of the 80s. But, you know, this is set in seedy New York City, which, the, I mean, what a time. New York City of the late 70s. What a time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was the meatpacking district is where all of this yeah. happened. Yeah, I'm just watching it going, is that where Samantha Jones got that apartment where she was, like, shooing away, you know, the... <laughs> the trans sex workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I'm also obsessed with the trans sex workers in this movie, too. Oh, my goodness. I think they're kind of working it. Those two, the one that gets taken in by the cops and they... Oh, with the blonde wigs. They look great. They, look, they do look good. <laughs> they look so good. Especially for I mean, a movie for a movie with its reputation that when you kind of look back on stuff like that, you're just like, yeah. I mean, I feel like there could have been a more offensive... Yeah characterizations of them hey they were in heels on like cobblestone so i gotta give them credit yeah seriously. their makeup looked pretty decent and they're wearing those like sandy from the last scene of greece like really yeah. shiny shiny pants <laughs> that are super tight yeah um and those blonde wigs mm-hmm. probably cost a pretty penny yeah and also i feel like yeah i i feel like i've seen worse representations yes. of like hookers you know what i mean in movies so i don't know but um yeah, this movie kind of starts. I have so much to say about this. Al Pacino, how old is he at this point? He just looks perpetually forty-five years old. Well, it's like when you think about Al Pacino's career, like Godfather would have happened in what, like seventy-two? I think that was his second movie. Yeah, wow. So he would have had two Godfather movies under his belt. So sure. already a household name at this point. Yeah, he had done Serpico before this, mm-hmm. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, which is another mm-hmm. kind of. I True. mean, that's a whole nother podcast is yeah. what that movie's about. But yeah. Oof. <laughs> really, Oof. Really. So he's no stranger of just sort of, I mean, I guess for like a straight middle-aged actor kind of out there material yeah. that a lot of his peers probably would have been offered this from their agent and said, oh, hell no. Sure. You know, uh, and just like reading up on the movie and just like revisiting some of the history, it was interesting that um, Richard Gere. Yes, uh, I read that too. Could be in the you, movie. Could you I love that? Fucking imagine this movie with Richard Gere. I kind of would love that. I love yeah. like eighties Richard Gere. Yes. I think it's so hot. Oh, American Gigolo. That that damn oh, that damn ass. that damn face. <laughs> very pretty. Very yeah. pretty mm-hmm. for this movie, though. Yeah, and also I feel like. It might have fit a little bit more because they're trying to, you know, Paul Sorvino's character is looking for a cop that he can throw into this underground, undercover situation that's going to be the bait 
for a serial killer. And you who's definitely like, want to pick up Richard Gere as the bait. Yeah, you if want a like a killer. trade-looking yep. guy. And I f- that's what brings me back to Al Pacino. Just looks like this Italian guy. Like, I mean, gr- granted, there's a there's an audience for that, and I'm sure some people find you know uh, Al Pacino ravishing the beautiful head of hair but i think you know i think you probably would want to go for the pretty boy the richard gear and be like hey you know homicidal homosexual <laughs> come get this one well i know william freaking like even talks about now like he kind of wishes he went with gear because right. of the his his look he just, um i think that he said he liked his androgynous look yeah i don't know if i would use the word androgynous when describing richard no. gear but he is pretty, like you said. Mm-hmm. He's pretty. Um, I think Al Pacino just kind of threw his weight around, though, to get to take it over Richard Gere, probably. Yeah, just like I'm a bigger star, a bigger, uh, you know, marketable star. So, oh, totally, he was totally hot. Yeah. So it was like, ooh, yeah, absolutely, we should get the hot new star, yeah, the newish star in. Yeah. So, I mean. I feel like this movie has a reputation for being kind of like fringe, like that crazy Al Pacino movie. And I think it kind of has more of a legend behind it. When you watch it, you know, for Scott and I, at least, we're watching it going, okay, this just looks like the antics at like a gay bar. But I feel like maybe to mainstream audiences, it looks a little crazy. (laughs) But I think that there's a little bit more legend as far as like people saying that there's crazier stuff in it. Like, oh, there's there's fisting and there's and there's you know subliminal pictures of like butt fucking and all this but it doesn't go i mean you know uh mike what do you think about the like the legend of this movie as opposed to like when you actually watch it were you scandalized um not exactly i mean i feel like like you're saying the myth behind the movie the idea behind the movie because it wasn't available for a very long time right. um on dvd i mean recently it showed up on blu-ray which i was over the moon about but um, it was just this idea of like, what is this controversial movie? The pro always like the protests that were occurring during filming always gets brought up. So it was mm-hmm. like, what, what is this? Yeah, uh, all that stuff is so crazy when you when you like learn about the protests and protesting like the, as they were making the movie. Yeah, that's why there's some scenes that are totally ADR, and you're like, why did they loop this audio? They're just walking down the street, but people were like blasting air horns during the production and it it took me like not till i started reading recently about like the whole like reasoning behind the protest i didn't really understand it especially after seeing the film but obviously now was a different time (laughs) yeah for sure just at the cusp of when the news of aids started to yeah hit the media that they're yeah i mean i think that this movie was released in 1980 and you really didn't see that probably until 81 yeah but, I mean, let's backtrack a little bit for those who aren't familiar. This movie was met by protests from the gay community. Yes. Because of the content, right? I th- I'm assuming it got out that it's a movie about a gay serial killer. So just the concept of the gay people in the movie being portrayed as the villains, right? And I guess that's kind of was the main complaint. Am I right? Yeah, um, violence and sex crazed. Right. So when that kind of got out, then uh, some groups kind of organized. And I think it was – what's the name of the organization that eventually came came from this? Was it ACT UP or – it was a big like – right? You know what I'm talking about. It was like a big like, you know, gay uh, 
organization in the early 80s in in New York that kind of spearheaded, you know, a lot of gay rights protests and things like that. Well, it was interesting because it was like this – there were these protests occurring and there were people – there were gays who were for the movie and gays who were against the movie. And, of course, the gays who were in this movie were for the movie, you know, the whole leather community. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. When you're watching the scenes that take place in the clubs, you're just like, well, this is not central casting. No. These are the gays that were (laughs) – I live for all these extras that just showed up in their gear. Oh, man, just living their lives. (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was so cool because um, I, they were supposed to film at uh, a gay club called The Mine Shaft. And mm-hmm. at last minute, because of the protests and everything happening, um, they pulled the location. And still, the patrons from Mine Shaft are in this film. They're right. the guys who are in the club, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, they, totally. They ended up filming at a place called Hellfire, but it was decorated to resemble the Mine Shaft. Have you guys ever read about the Mine Shaft? No. No. Tell us. Oh, there is a lot of interesting details about it. Um, you know, of course, it was the meatpacking district. Mm-hmm. It actually had like a, a dress code, a rule board when you would walk in um, that said, you know, appropriate dress included uh, cycle leather, Western gear, Levi's, jocks, uh, ready wear uniforms, yada, yada. Yeah. And then they would also be, say no colognes or perfumes. Right. No suit ties, dress pants, rugby shirts, no disco drag or dresses. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. very like particular about what you're wearing. Yeah, that's a super specific uh, aesthetic. But they kind of brought that in when he walked in and it was precinct night. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, you're not in a uniform, so you need to get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Because sometimes, you know, back when we were going to bars and you you could go to bars sometimes we would just go to the eagle here in la and it would be like a precinct night. it was usually fridays and what was always really funny about that is that drag race started to air on friday nights so that sort of messed with all of the all their gear nights all of their gear nights so you used to just see all of the uh, it'd be like the younger kids, the you know the allies. It'd be a lot of like girls and straight couples that would come to watch Drag Race, and then round about nine ten o'clock, the clientele would shift into these like fully and. Have you ever gone to like a gear night or a precinct night at a bar where these men walk in and it is like that is looks like a police officer. Mm-hmm. That cannot be legal. <laughs> like, I was shocked at how accurate these uniforms are. Smoking a big fat cigar, oh, usually. God, yeah, it's kind of hot though. Like, um, <laughs> I'm pretty impressed by that. I haven't really experienced that extent. Usually, people like half-ass it. Oh no, yeah. I think. Well, the thing is, the Eagle in L.A. is kind of. It's been around for a long time, and it's one of the last remaining like bars that does have gear nights that have like leather you know they have like mr leather la you know pageants or whatever there and so when they do have the precinct nights or the uniform nights it's crazy um yeah i feel like you probably got to run from your car to the bar because i don't think you could just walk around in the street like looking like that like that's a ticket because that's impersonating (laughs) an officer but um you know at least here they're not kicking anybody out if you're not in, you know, in proper attire, but in in the in New York in the 80s, they were just like, get the fuck out of here. 
and there's a big bar in downtown LA that's like the cool sort of hipster bar that is called Precinct. It's actually called Precinct. But yeah. Precinct's sort of vibe is that it does sort of cater to everyone. Sort yeah. of more its theme is just rock and roll instead of yeah. leather and cops. But still, when you walk up the stairs of Precinct, there's a giant Tom and Finland uh, police officer, police officer, like <laughs> greeting you when you go up the stairs right on the wall. I love that. But is like the vibe of that uh, precinct? Is that like you walk in, there's going to be like Britney Spears and Carly Rae Jepsen, or is it like <laughs> definitely a little harsher? It's a little harsher on the weeknights. On the weekends, they're they're trying they're trying to make those coins. So you know they have drag queens. They've got you know kind of more clubby nights going on. But the decor is for sure kind of harkening back to those to those seedy like New York City days. Which, which I love. Um, just, mm. yeah, just the idea of walking around. They mentioned the ramble in this movie, where some of the one of the murders takes place in Central Park, and the ramble is where that one, uh, that one guy got the cops called on him for telling the woman to put her dog in the leash. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was in the Ramble, and that's like just a part of Central Park. So it's like there was a time when you could just cruise. For, I mean, granted, it was nighttime, but these people were just like fucking in the park in New York City. Like that is insane. Uh, yeah, I kind of I know like the city was like deemed as like incredibly dangerous at yeah, that time. Yes. But I kind of would have loved to have seen it before it kind of turned Disney. Five. Oh, totally. Yeah. We we just rented a movie called uh Times Square, which is about these two girl runaways. Uh one of one is the daughter of a, of a politician, the other one is like a a vagrant. A vagrant wannabe like girl punk lead singer and they just uh run away in New York City and just live by the pier. In like an abandoned factory. In an abandoned factory. Which they shot in. And it's just New York at that time. It's just so like the whiz, like half abandoned and run down. But the other half, like this metropolis that Superman can just fly into it at a moment's notice. Porno theater as <laughs> porno theaters as far as the eye could see in Times Square. Yeah. We're never going to see anything like that again for a while. But we have it here <laughs> in this movie. So... What is your history with the movie Cruising? <laughs> I'll definitely <laughs> specify the movie Cruising, Mike. Um, you mentioned that it wasn't available for a long time. Um, so when had you first kind of become aware of it and, and like seen it, really? Um, I I remember just reading about actually in the celluloid closet, the yeah. book. Yeah. And um, like it would just come up randomly just like online as, as being almost like mm-hmm. this deleted footage and, and, you know, obviously it had a following from what I read upon. And I was just intrigued by it. Like the fact that it was like a, a murder, a mystery. Yeah. Um, I was like, Ooh, this sounds like right up my alley. Um, but it just wasn't available for the longest time. And I remember seeing it actually at borders books and I just blind bought it. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching it being like, what is this? Like, I don't really <laughs> know what's going on. Like I was kind of expecting a more straightforward, film yeah and obviously there's a lot of um things are left unanswered and obviously through multiple viewings i really started loving of i loved it more and more with each viewing because it was pick up on something different so it kind of felt like uh like you're trying to solve this mystery yourself for me 
Yeah, totally. I feel like I had w- watched it once. We rented it or something. What are the circumstances that we watched? Well, I remember uh, kind of similar to you. I feel like when I was just reading up on gay film in like my mid to late 20s, I would always come across it. And I think that it was just on cable one night. Sure. And you just mentioned, oh, this is cruising. Like this, oh, okay. this movie has a reputation. I'm like, hmm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to like check this out. And we have a a super famous video store. Check out our newsletter. Uh, <laughs> I go to Video Tech in South Pasadena a lot, and Video Tech has everything that's hard to get a hold of. That is usually not on streaming. They have bootlegs. And I <laughs> went to the Al Pacino section because they have a little. Al Pacino uh, section of their store, and I picked up Cruising, and we watched it. And that was probably, like, four years ago or so. Yeah, but like you said, Mike, this movie has, on the one hand, it's, uh, what year is it? 1980. 1980. So, on the one hand, it's got that late 70s, early 80s kind of, like, cop movie, you know, Serpico kind of vibe. French Connection. French Connection. Yeah. So it's a little bit more of a slower pace than than a modern movie. Um, it's very gritty and dark and all of that. But it does have this rewatchability quality because there's all that crazy shit that I didn't even know on that first viewing. And this time around when we watched it last night, I was like, holy shit. They did some stuff on purpose in here with the actors and like did you pick up on that on your own or was it something that you read about because i unfortunately saw it in a special feature and i was like oh, i wish i would have caught that yeah I, I picked up um with the multiple killers yeah and they would and have how, like the first victim was the third killer yeah um and i was like wait a second that guy looks familiar but it's the same voice and also the voice of the father later in yeah. the film is the same and so again, it's like still just trying to piece together this puzzle. Yeah. But yeah, I picked on a little, a few things. You know, obviously, you know, in preparation for this podcast, um, yeah. I did a lot of research about yeah. the murders and the murders that happened in 1973 in New York till closer to filming. And I kind of understood the protests a little bit better too, right, because right. of that. Yeah. Um, what a little bit more of what we're talking about is what they, what the director did was. The killer remains ambiguous throughout the entire movie. You never get a clear shot of his face, and his voice is clearly dubbed. So what they've done is they've used multiple actors to portray the killer. Now, are we to think that it's different people doing these murders? Maybe. You know, are they doing it just to throw us off? We don't know. So the two actors in the very... The person that gets killed, that actor plays the murderer in a later murder scene. And the person that's the murderer in the first scene plays someone who gets killed in the second murder scene. And they just kind of th- jumble it all together. And it's, it's, it's jarring, but I feel like I just was, maybe I just wasn't paying attention on my first viewing. There's also like a white facial blindness with actors yeah. that they all just start to blur together, which I think that's on purpose from, for sure from the director that you really can't keep people straight. So you're just left sort of confused. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And also, um, Paul Servino's character makes a comment, you know, about, you know, to Al Pacino's character, Steve, that like, they look like you. Yeah. So like everyone kind of, it's that identity, you know, which plays a part of this film, Mm -hmm. um, of just being blurred. Yeah. And also like, there's the one character who Al Pacino kind of uh who's when he's wearing the wire and he the guy's trailing him and he ends up you know 
having like this weird aborted like situation where they're trying to trap this one guy. That actor looks so much like the character Greg later on in the movie. That's like the boyfriend of the of the neighbor. So so you know their hairstyles. They, they all look very you know late seventies. They'll have a very specific look. So you kind of do get thrown a lot by it. I think that I really kind of came across this movie when I read about that kind of extra in The Exorcist. That oh, one little bit of like trivia. I have, his, I have his name. What is it that you that you that you read about when they're like, oh, you know, this actor in The Exorcist. You know, you're. Pro- I'm probably reading this pay. You know, this like listicle about you know how The Exorcist was a cursed movie, right? Paul Bateson, and there yep. is an actor in The Exorcist who plays an X-ray technician. Yeah, I think he probably was an X-ray technician in real life. That's yes, why they he hired was. him. Yep. Yeah, and it turns out that was he the guy, or do they even know that he was? So um, let's talk about that. Oh God, that's that's a long one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so long story short, just to focus on him, um, he can he did murder someone, um, a guy that he did drugs with and hooked up with, um, and left and had later contacted a columnist uh, at the Village Voice and. Um, I totally lost track of what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the guy from the That's Exorcist. So <laughs> like how how he is involved directly with the the real life murders that inspired this movie. So he actually did murder one person and did he confess to the others or did they just kind of place him with place. you know they said all these other things are happening that are similar so he probably did that too, right? Yes, and it was to like reduce his sentence. But he he said he re- he doesn't really remember, you mm-hmm. know, like previously before that murder, um, because what? he openly says like I was I was drunk, like oh, I literally sure. like he his he, he has memory loss of like what happened. So uh-huh. the I guess they threw to him, the, you know, you take blame of these previous murders and we'll reduce your sentence. Right. Which is so crazy because Paul Sorvino says that to the to that guy Skip in this movie where he's like, okay, you know, we got the knife. We think you killed this guy. But if you say you killed all these other guys, we'll give you a lesser sentence than if we just indict you for this one murder, which will get you a life sentence. I'm like, how does that work? Yeah, it was, <laughs> you know, and listening to the commentary, it really was like life imitating art. Yeah. Like, when freaking openly admits like that all happened that was procedure sure and 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 then we could always talk about you know the big black guy in the cowboy hat and the yeah because because he mentions that is from something that happened yeah (laughs) i can't so this is just a guy they have on staff at the police station to just like intimidate people into confessing (laughs) why the job strap i get the cowboy hat i think yeah, beats me. I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know if they have him on, on staff or payroll. <laughs> I love, I love just to do that. I love under, under the out, table. Like, I love that cool image of him suspects. just sitting in his jockstrap on the chair by the by the window, just reading the paper. Yeah, <laughs> this, this big black guy in this jockstrap, just like reading the paper. 
What did you guys think when that moment happened? I was the first time I saw it. I was just like, what in the hell is going on? Like Al Bundy, what are you doing? Like, oh, because also Al Bundy's in this movie. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Granted, you know, it's 1980. So it's like the cops are going to rough up this guy and questioning and all that. And they're like, take off your pants. We need a semen sample. So we're like, okay, they're going to force him like jerk off in front of everybody so they can get these samples and all that. And then here comes this dude. And it's just like, what? This shit is going on. Mm-hmm. I could I could not believe that that was something. Because it's like on the one hand, maybe it fits for like they think these guys are like gay hustlers, right? So they're like, let's bring in this big dude in a jockstrap. But what if they're just like guys that they pick up for like purse snatching? I don't think it mattered because like <laughs> once they go in front of the judge, you know, it'll be like they roughed me up. And they'd be like, who roughed you up? You know, a six foot black guy in a jock and a cowboy hat. It's like, what? Yeah. I don't believe you. Shut your mouth. Yeah. So the purse snatchers and the gay hustlers, they all get the, they all get the jockstrap guy. I love it. Yeah. That's new. That's New York City, baby. New York cops, baby. <laughs> you can Back make the it day. there. You can make it anywhere. So my <laughs> my facts might be a little gray on this, but sure. I believe that the original one of the original cops that worked on this actual case was the character who Gene Hackman plays in The French Connection. Oh, sure. And I think that he he told William Freakin about everything that was happening just because they remained close in the decade since they made the French connection. Right. So that's another connection with William Freakin with this material. Yeah. Is the real life guy who was the inspiration for Popeye in the Popeye French Doyle. connection. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. um the the cop that you know I that is in the French connection I mentioned in the French connection. Um his true his story concerning he was an LB uh NYPD cop, you know he did do this. He did go undercover at the S&M bars, mm-hmm. and he's in the film, actually. Oh. Um, his name is Randy Jurgensen, and he's a lot in this film. Really? And he's the real guy who did who was Al Pacino's character. And, oh. and William Freakin had talked about you know some of the personal conversations that they had of what it was like going undercover and submitting really to this lifestyle. And uh, the themes that Al Pacino goes through in this film – you know, of going back to your relationship with your girlfriend or your wife and how that impacts and you start questioning even your sexuality. Yeah. Um, like that came into play. So I, th- I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. How that aspect of this guy's real life of what he experienced is implemented in this film. Yeah, especially because you can kind of see Al Pacino's like journey, you know, air quotes. But um, that's something that I think they handle really well because, you know, the Karen Allen, well, I love Karen Allen. She's beautiful. 1980 Karen Allen. I don't think I love she has it. a lot to work with in this she movie. She does not have a lot to work it's with. It's a pretty thankless role. But it, she's just there to show Al Pacino's kind of arc, right? And it's interesting to think about like a straight New York City beat cop that gets thrown into an undercover job. So he's probably just like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll take it. I'll get the promotion, whatever. Um, but in this particular world. And it's not only is it like, okay, you're going to have to go to gay bars. You have to go to like the sub subculture of gay bars, mm-hmm. right? 
it would be one thing if it's just like go to Studio Fifty Four and hang out with the fags, but it's like no, you got to go to like the meatpacking district and like the jock straps and the hanky codes and all that stuff. So I, it's crazy to me that like a straight cop would take on this role and what it would do to you psychologically. Right now, am I crazy? Is the cop? That's the beat cop from the first scene that takes, you know, the streetwalkers and just puts them in the in the car. And then he's there at the very, very end of the movie. And Paul Sorvino's like recognizes the name because the one of them said, like, look out for this guy. He's like, he's roughing us up and blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end of the movie, Paul Sorvino sees him and he sees his name and he's like, oh, you're out of the sixth precinct. And he's like, oh, I know who you are. You're the guy that the one told me about. And he also shows up in one shot when Al Pacino yes. is at the SM bars. He walks by and like looks at the camera, we're assuming Al Pacino, and then walks on by. That's what I was going to ask you. Is that him cruising yeah. Al Pacino in the bar? It I, is. It is, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. I caught that. He, I was like, You know, that, that actor, his name is um, Joe Spinell. Uh-huh. He's, uh, he's an interesting character. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the horror movie Maniac. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, you haven't. Okay, he's the star of that movie, and there's a lot of crazy stories about him. He would get drunk. He would go randomly, just put on a dress and go to a bar. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh-huh. I so love that. He seems like a real character. So. Yeah, yeah. He's that one w- of the few I recognized in that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's that scene at the beginning of the movie where there's two kind of you know uh uniform cops in a cop car they're going through like you know the meat packing district and it's all full of people going to the bars and there's two you know there's two guys in you know i don't know if it's drag or if it's just their trans or whatever but they just stop them and say hey get in the car and these two are just like what the fuck we didn't do anything we're just going to the bar and he's just like get in the car and then one of them says get in the front seat like and he forces them to like give him a blowjob and all this stuff and you mentioned it yesterday, Scott, where you were just like, I bet there were just fucking cops like this in New York. Yeah. It's like, fuck yeah, of course mm-hmm. there were. Like, what? It's in- it's interesting because, um, you know, cops were so, like, really dirty. Mm-hmm. They did some real dirty stuff back then. I mean, yeah. they were paid off, you know, by the mob oftentimes when it came to, like, gay bars and liquor licenses, all that, you know, back in the Stonewall. Yeah, yeah, because the mob owned all of the big gay bars in New York City at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I mean, didn't they just kind of, if not own, kind of like shake down most of the bars anyway? Just like for what prote- the cops, the the mob. Wouldn't they just shake down bars like for protection and all that, and just like no, get money from um, them? what they they kind of saw the gay community as like an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, because some gay bars were revoked or weren't allowed to have liquor licenses oh. because of, oh God, I'm trying to remember what exactly it was. There was a certain, it kind of came off as being, oh, here we go. Okay. My notes. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So while homosexuals were legal in the state of New York establishments, openly serving alcohol, gay customers were considered to be by the state liquor authority to be disorderly houses, uh, houses are places where unlawful practices wow. are carried on by the public. Wow. So they refuse their liquor license um, or would revoke it because of indecent conduct. Right. Wow. Damn, that's that's pretty That's wild. Bad. Yeah, that's wild. So it's like that kind of 
leads you to understand why so many of these places in this movie, you would see him going into these nondescript, half of them didn't look like bars. They were just doors in these old rundown buildings, and they would say members only and things like that. And you'd have to walk down these long, you know, staircases, and they were in basements and things, probably just because they would get shut down all the time because that shit was illegal. That's they would pay off the cops though to turn the, turn a blind eye. Yeah, yeah, like twelve hundred dollars a month or something oh just to gosh. turn a blind eye and yeah. just like not bother the clubs. That's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, if anything. Even if you're not into, you know, the bar scene or if you're not into like, you know, leather bars or any of that stuff. If anything, this movie's kind of like a history lesson. It's a it's just a time capsule of yes. New York in the late seventies. Yeah, this crazy snapshot. Um we mentioned briefly uh Hankies and the Hanky Code. We have a little bit we have a little clip of of that scene that I want to play because that was kind of incredible. Um, let's take a listen. Excuse me. Could I ask you about these? What about them? What are they for? Well, like blue, Hank, in your left back pocket means you want a blowjob. Right pocket means you give one. The green one left side says you're a hustler. Right side, you're a buyer. The yellow one left side means you give golden shower. Right side, you receive. The red one means you see anything you want. Uh, I'm going to go home and think about it. I'm sure you'll make the right choice. Yeah, that's a lot. Isn't that fucking fascinating, though? <laughs> yeah. I find that so fascinating. You just need, like, I'm a like, manual. You don't have that shit anymore. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And that's the thing. It's just this part of history that, like, you know, hankies and bandanas and all that are just part of, like, fashion now. And just people wear them and girls wear them. And so it's like if you go to a gay bar wearing a hanky or, or a bandana, it doesn't really mean any of that stuff, but we were, uh, let's bring it back. Let's bring uh, it back. I think we should. But my problem with it is that there's so many rules. We yeah. were at, uh, the bullet in North Hollywood and they had a little shop with t-shirts in the corner with just like a little gay owned company that runs t-shirts and they're just like funny little t-shirts. And they also had hankies in different colors and they had like a card with showed you the traditional hanky code. Mm-hmm. And I am, not kidding you. It was like a Cheesecake Factory menu. It was oh, yeah. so long. It could have been pages. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, what? And there's like blue and baby blue and like dark blue. It's no. right side of your pocket, left side of your pocket. Yeah. Well, the right side is give and receive. So, I mean, maybe that's a little Rosetta Stone, but. Well, there's like one scene <laughs> in the movie where Al Pacino's in, you know, the club and some guy. And we'll talk about how everyone's sweaty. I mean, yeah, everyone's yes. like half naked or has no clothes on pretty much or just a jock. But everyone's profusely sweating. Yeah. But this really sweaty guy like looks over and sees the hanky and he goes up to me. He's like, you're into water sports. And he's like, no, I like to watch. He's like, well, take that hanky out of your pocket, asshole. He gets so pissed off at him. To which like, I he, say, he's yeah, like, I rate with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't put that shit in your pocket if you're not like actively looking for that thing. <laughs> yeah, but you have to be so aggressive about <laughs> at least, it. At least don't get the yellow one, Al. Yeah, why do you pick the yellow? That's what we. That's what we were saying. We watch it. We go, why'd you pick the yellow one, weirdo? <laughs> not that that's a weird thing. I guess <laughs> if you're into it, hey, listeners, have you, at it, listeners. If you don't know what we're talking about, just Urban Dictionary Golden Showers. 
<laughs> no judgment. No judgment. You in the water sports? No. I just I like to watch. Later. Yeah. If you like to watch, take that hanky out of your pocket, asshole. <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. No judgment. Wear your yellow hanky all you want, people. <laughs> I will say I um never I will forever look at a can of Crisco. I will never look at it the same way. After yeah. Was, was that Crisco? Oh my god. That shit blows that shit blows I mean it blows gay men's minds <laughs> if they're not super familiar with it, but yeah. Fisting. Does that, it work? I mean like does it, I mean like is it like an actual like lubricant that like does anyone use that anymore? I, I can't know. imagine that Crisco would still be in I mean there's no. I mean I mean Can you imagine going to a hookup's house and you see like Crisco? I'd be like No, I'm out. <laughs> Shock. Yeah, I'd be like, oh God. I don't know. Is it water soluble? I feel like it's not. Are you cooking? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not into it. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some uh art artistically obscured shots of people in uh harnesses yeah. and and arms being slathered in Crisco. <laughs> wow. Oof. Yeah. I I love all of the just the random cutaway extras in the bar scenes. Yes. If anything, I want to see more of it in this movie. So you mentioned how everybody's super sweaty in this movie, and you know the humidity in New York City. I don't have to tell, especially uh, the I don't summertime. have to tell someone who lives in Atlanta about humidity. But I mean, I can imagine. I mean, in L.A., we don't have humidity like that, but I know when it's a club that's super crowded and you're dancing and all that, you get hot and it's really hot in there and sweaty. I can imagine in a New York City summer what that's like, and everybody would just be dripping with sweat. And I think they did that consciously in this movie to make it look super like that feeling of when you're at a club and it's full of people and it's just, you just don't care anymore because everybody looks like that. Yeah, because they're only really sweaty like in the club really i mean everyone's wearing leather jackets for most of the part like yeah when they're like leaving <laughs> yeah yeah but oof i don't know me i'd be like oh there's no way seeing this place i'm leaving i'm out <laughs> <laughs> i'm not ruining this shirt yeah I, I yeah i can't imagine wearing full leather gear to a club mm-hmm. and just being comfortable mm. that's why that's why i'm not goth that's the main reason i would just sweat <laughs> Speaking of goth, I do love the scene of Al Pacino in this movie putting on makeup. Like, he's drawing in his eyebrows. What is going on there? I love that. Because his eyebrows aren't, like, thick enough? What is going on? But he's just just immersing himself into into this world. Sure. He's going to the dark side. (laughs) Yeah, that's just to illustrate this, like, straight cop. Just like, hey, this is what we do at this, uh, you know, in this world. So I'm going to follow along. He doesn't quite get the harness, though. Mm-hmm. Does he ever wear a harness? I don't think so. No, he's just shirtless. I think he's either just shirtless or just a, a sleeveless tee. Sure. Yeah, and he has like the, he has some of the leather. I mean, obviously, he has a leather jacket and the glasses, and he has like the, the uh, bracelet, yeah, you know, yeah. which, he, which he keeps on as he's having sex with his girlfriend. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And then you kind of – there are kind of some scenes that show him kind of submitting to this lifestyle. Right. Um, I really enjoyed 
the shots of him lifting weights in the mirror. <laughs> Grunting? <laughs> and you get the amazing Al Pacino grunts. I mean, I love that shit. Here we have this. Yeah, it's faint. It's faintly there be, behind that, like that honky tonk song. But you just get that Al Pacino, like hooah, <laughs> which I love. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go make a few drinks. Hold on. Okay, sounds good. One moment. We'll take a break. We're back. So we're not even doing a. Uh, I mean, what I was recap. telling Pete of the thing about this movie is that I can't really like explain the plot just because it's just so. I mean, explain like the story of it because it all just sort of blurs together, especially in like the last third where it sort of becomes a little more procedural. Yeah. That um, it's not quite as fun as like the first twenty minutes, so it just sort of and it's not and it's intentional that it just all sort of blurs together. Well, I really appreciate the ambiguity of yeah. everything. What because, I'm saying is the amb- ambiguity of it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, because they kind of are leading you down different paths with the whole idea of not knowing who did it and. Are they kind of trying to include? I keep forgetting Pacino's character's name, but are Steve Burns? Burns. Are they trying to allude to the fact that Burns is possibly a suspect? The trailer does because the trailer has him singing the Especially the lullaby, the little song, the the lullaby. Yeah. Who's here? We're, We're here. here. I'm here. It's very Billy from Black Christmas. Oh, totally. yeah, kind of totally. I could totally see that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, we ultimately get to this kind of unhinged, you know, music student, this college student that, you know, Burns sees at the bars and they kind of circumstantially tie him into it. And Paul Servino is pretty much like, good, we got him. Great. Let's go. But. Is did and, he do it? Did he do all of them? Did and, he do one of them? And James Remar is his boyfriend? No, no, no. This this is different people altogether. James Remar is the boyfriend of the neighbor. Oh, sure. Who got killed? And that's the thing. Did James Remar kill him? Did Burns kill him? D- did the actual killer kill him? Because one what? of them was one of he was working at a restaurant. And it was the steak that's knives. A different, that's from a the different restaurant. Guy. Oh that's my a god! Third guy. See, see what I'm saying? That I can't keep any of the story straight. The waiter was a red herring, right? The waiter didn't do any of it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I who knows? Just reading about 
the real case that had occurred. I mean, in all the murders that had taken place, like back in 73. I mean, this goes back a very long time. Yeah. It's really strange because there's no way it could be just one person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you really can't. It's a collection of the actual fact of what happened really on one person based on how far this goes back. And that's why I found interesting about the movie. It kind of plays around with that because um, the neighbor, Ted, gets killed after the guy who we think is the killer gets caught. Is, yeah, gets caught. So it's yeah. like, well, wait a second. Who did that? You know? Yeah. But the so- ending, I mean, the ending. I get the ending, but mm-hmm. for me, I was a little like, eh, I don't think Pacino is the killer. I, no, like, yeah. Honestly, I just didn't think he was. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think that he is, but I think that they're trying to include him as maybe he's a could be a suspect, right? Because of just some of the the looks in his eye, and he looks right at the camera when mm-hmm. he's shaving at the end of the movie. He looks right at us. He's like, Ew. but yeah, that was supposed to be more. Uh... And just listening to William Freakin, you know, talking the commentary, it was his idea was more to kind of give that hint that possibly he could be a suspect, mm-hmm. but really looking at the audience to challenge them of like, who are you? Sure. I, going back to the theme of identity. Yeah. So I read some stuff about William Freak. I mean, this was just an IMDb trivia, so you know it's true. But the, they, one of the little bits mentioned that like William Friedkin would go to the bars and he would go and like just wear a jock strap and all that. Is William Friedkin straight? I think he is straight. Yeah, he's straight. He, oh. he has a wife. Yeah, in preparation him, for like research of this film, he I could see him he getting contacted into it. Uh, one of his mob. I mean, uh, I shouldn't say I love that. Contact one of his mob friends. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> sue us. I mean, he's like a. <laughs> I mean, like he's like a. Find us. William he's like Friedkin. a social New Yorker. He has some mob. He has some mob connections. I mean, everything we're saying is available online. It's not like we got this straight from Al Pacino's mouth. And we know William Freakin is listening. <laughs> <laughs> So but yeah, I, I mean, he jokes they went to uh, he got he got on a jog strap and went to one of these nights, and he was like, "I must have been the ugliest person ever." <laughs> I, wanna, I don't know. I've I've been to some of these. I, I want to hear the know. one like homo that night. Are you the guy that directed The Exorcist? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it was a different time in 1979. I don't think that your average Joe in the street would know what William Freakin looked like. But I like when you see the documentaries on this movie that dissect why he wanted to make it. He just thought the leather community of the late 70s was fascinating. And it just is a really interesting place to put a murder mystery in. Yeah. That he just thought that was really interesting. And there was nothing like homophobic about it, but he just thought that world would make a really good movie. And he's not wrong. Yeah. Sorry, Oh yeah, and and he's not wrong. And it's based on a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. the book though doesn't talk about any S and M or leather community at all. It's really just a cop investigating murders that occur in the gay world. Oh, okay. That that's literally just the framework of the book that he just took, and then based on like the stories he heard from Randy Jurgensen, um, he incorporated that, and plus also the murders. Um, the body parts that were being found in the Hudson that was deemed fag in a bag case. Um, He kind of just linked that together into this story. And it's, I think it's smart. You know, I think it's super unique and different. Yeah. And ballsy too. I mean, to release this movie. Well, especially that this community was not mainstream at all too. that. Like it would have been like fringe of fringe. Yeah. For the time. 
I mean, to go back to what you guys were saying, I mean, imagine like a straight couple going to see this movie and like the fisting scene. It's like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I can imagine people just being like, no, it can't be like that. That's not real. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the stuff we're watching and we're going, all right, jock straps, sweaty guys. You know, they walked into one of the bars and very at the very beginning of the movie. And I was like, yeah, that just looks like an eagle here. Um, So on the one hand, I'm just like, yeah, this is par for the course. But then, yeah, I'm just thinking there's not there's not these kinds of sex acts going on in bars, uh, at least in L.A. Well, I feel like I've always heard stories about what the fault line used to be like in Los Angeles, that you kind of used to see activity like this, but that's all since gone away. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That you could possibly go to the fault line and see guys fucking on the pool table. Yikes. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah. Gone are those days, though. (laughs) Indeed. Which is kind of sad. I mean, I know it sounds bad, but it's like kind of sad. Oh, no, I totally get it. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. kind of also just disappeared. I mean, you know, it's it's hooking out. But but yeah, I mean, AIDS wiped that completely out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, We talked a little bit about it uh, early on, but, you know, there were these protests that were happening um, during filming. And these protesters tried their hardest and actually succeeded in some cases in uh, hijacking these the shoot of this. And the, you can kind of tell in a couple of early scenes with um, Burns and Ted, is the neighbor Ted? Mm-hmm. Burns and Ted, when they kind of first meet and they go and they have like lunch in this little diner, there's a, a good portion of these scenes that are completely dubbed over ADR. And you can tell, like as a movie watcher, you're just like, that is not the audio that was taken as they were shooting this. But it was because the audio was so bad because these these protesters were blasting air horns and, you know, making this ruckus to to disrupt the shooting of this movie. Um so it's very interesting that how word got out and spread so, you know, so far and wide into the gay community in New York that they were able to kind of track down the shoot. Like, I don't know if that would happen. I mean, maybe it would happen today with, you know, with, with what's going on. But there is no like social media blast. Protests. Though. But it yeah, would have all been word of mouth. Yeah. Without social media, how the hell did they organize this? That's insane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that That is a very good point. The only thing I can think of is maybe like, some someone got like a, a hold of like a production like location list. Yeah. Um, I know this was very much spearheaded by Arthur Bell, who's a gay journalist who mm-hmm. got like a copy of the script and he went crazy on this movie. Yeah, and just like a, a phone chain or something. They, I mean, being gay activists in you know 1979, they probably had like a phone chain that they were just like, all right, we got to get to get people mode. You know. Um, activated for these kinds of protests it probably had things you know in motion for that to happen but so i remember hearing that when these protests were happening there was another movie that was shooting in new york at the same time and the protesters must mistook this movie for cruising oh no and it was can't stop the music the (gasps) village people movie so they were fully making this stupid village kind of this uh very pro-gay, matter-of-fact yeah. village people movie. And that's like a whole nother podcast. But protesting cruising at the set for Can't Stop the Music. 
I love that. <laughs> what a time. <laughs> I feel like Can't Stop the Music should have been protested. That that movie is um, hard to get through. Have you seen Can't Yeah, Stop- <laughs> it's hard. It's definitely hard to get through, but I just imagine, like, what the hell were they thinking during filming, though? Like, when they were, like, trying to protest and watching filming happen. Just like, like Steve Gutenberg's on roller skates. Boo him. Yeah. That's cruising. You know, it's like... <laughs> Wait, what? That's yeah. like a that's like a difficult people sketch right there. <laughs> I do happen showing to, up at the wrong movie to protest. Yeah, I do happen to really love the intro of of Can't Stop the Music because I love Steve Gutenberg and <laughs> I mean he has a pretty slamming body in yeah, those just, little shorts. Just him roller skating, you know, through New York City is a is a sight to behold. But um Yeah. And from when everything that I've read that William Freakin and a lot of the producers were talking to these protesters as they were making it, too. Sure. That they would take meetings with them. Like to engage them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's smart. A lot of good it did them. Yeah. <laughs> did they? I mean, did they actively protest through the, through the shooting of the entire movie? Because really, you only get that, those ADR, you know, looped dialogue in a couple of scenes. Yeah, like the outside location, because everything mm-hmm. would be shut down. But also, like, in the scene, like, in the diner with, like, Ted, I mean, I know there's a story about, like, I forgot for his name, the actor who plays Ted, mm-hmm. he asked Al Pacino if he could, like, experience running through, a, like, a crowd to jump in a limo because <laughs> yeah. the just were literally Because <laughs> they had the to window. get Al Pacino out of the location, so they had to go, because th- there was no back way, so they had to go through the front, through the mob of people, oh, so wow. they had Al Pacino's bodyguards like pretty much just plow through these people to get him in the car. I would have done what Ted did. I would have been like, Hey, can I go with you? Cause that, that looks pretty fun. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, oh, well, I was going to say, but I love that. But there's also a sect of gay men in New York at this time that were completely all about it. Like they yeah. just sort of got it. Yeah, that this is a movie about a certain sect of the gay community, not about the gay community as a whole. And they were all about being extras in this movie. I think it's at least it's portraying them matter of factly. Yes, because when you watch something like Freddy's Revenge, when you know. There's a scene in like an S and M bar. It's just so weird. It doesn't seem staged by a bunch of straight people. Yeah, it's like there's really fantastical and like not accurate portrayals of this scene, or just completely erased. And then this movie, which is, I mean, I don't know if it's as neutral as it could be because it's the setting of like these grisly murders. But uh, on the one hand, the the portrayal of these bars is just like, this is what it is. Authentic. Yeah. It's a little yeah. more authentic, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I can see that these extras or that these act, you know, these people who are just at these bars and this production company comes in and says, hey, we're going to shoot this. Do you want to be part of it? They're just like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. There hasn't really been anything like that since then, really, of this. I mean, I don't know. Well, I think... Um... I'm trying to remember. Quentin Tarantino made a comment about this film that, like, that's why he believe, he believes that people enjoy it so much now and that it has such a following because it's nostalgia to a time that many didn't either experience or they remember. 
So it's mm-hmm. like, I, I definitely is interesting, you know, I mean, as we're talking about like, you know, the hanky code and, yeah. and what New York was back then and just sex and fisting going out at the bars. I mean, I, <laughs> huh? we're, we're probably never going to ever experience or see that in our yeah. lives. Yeah. I mean, maybe we have, um, <laughs> but, um, but it's definitely just a, a sp- very specific time in gay history. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at least we have it and we can watch it and it's, you know, yeah. even though it's a fictionalized account and it's against the backdrop of murders, you know, it's not like this happy story of like... I don't think it quite forwarded <laughs> gay rights for the time, but yeah. Let's do a romantic comedy I, taking place in the 1979 <laughs> at S&M Bar in New York. I was going to say, what mm. would be the positive portrayal of this of this subculture? You know, just like, yeah, a meet cute. It's interesting <laughs> when you look at William Freakin's career because he made... When did he make Boys in the Band? That Was that kind of the late 70s? William Friedkin directed Boys yeah. in the Band? He, Where he the hell have I been? He, he took that in 1970, he, he, so it was 10 years before Creed. Damn. Which is crazy of yeah with i mean that movie is a whole nother episode true i watched it for the first time recently what did you think of that movie i mean we won't get too deep it into felt it. like a stage play yeah definitely. definitely and i was like oh it is a stage play um it's based <laughs> on a stage play duh um it was good it was definitely good it, it was good i'm excited about the you know ryan murphy version that's coming out yeah yeah and we'll, nothing we'll like an it out. had ever really been done with gay yeah. men in a mainstream movie released by a major studio yeah. that you would have never like none of the characters are coded these are gay men living out in New York going through I their gotta own give the demons. man credit yep. he chooses things that aren't easy yeah for sure I'll still take the exorcist that's my, yeah. my favorite freaking movie we need to do an Exorcist viewing in October. It's been a while since I've watched that movie from beginning to end. We saw a drag Exorcist uh, performance that was fucking wild. It was pretty crazy. I remember I brought my sister-in-law to her first drag show, <laughs> and that was a hell of a one to just like <laughs> this like be introduced to drag with crazy Reagan just like crawling around doing the spider crawl. <laughs> That sounds so fun. Though. It was like, wild. Oh. <laughs> yeah, her makeup was pretty. It was pretty good. I, I have to say, and the same queen who did like Reagan in the nightgown with the full like vomit face spider walk comes out the same night and does Michael Jackson uh, beat it. That's oh, pretty yeah. awesome. Wild. That, that's I a good about night. that. Yeah. Wild. This one was like she was. She was a real deal. Uh, yeah, I can't remember her name, but um, that was great. So, yeah, this fucking movie. <laughs> Is there anything else what el- to talk about? What for else it? you got with Cruz? <laughs> I mean, okay, so yeah, so ultimately the the tone of this movie, it's it is very. I, I hesitate to say dated, but it's it doesn't have the same feel as a modern. You know, procedural, like something like Zodiac, maybe. I mean, it's a movie from the 70s, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, But I think that for gay people, if you're interested in just kind of history and um, pre-AIDS, you know, what kind of uh, nightlife and, and all of that was... 
I think it's kind of a, a decent portrayal. You know, the whole, like I said, the backdrop of a serial killer and, 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 and murders and, and queer people being the, uh, portrayed as, as the villains. That is one aspect of it. But on the other hand, I think it's a pretty wild depiction of mainstream media showing gay life from a time that is completely gone. So I definitely recommend people watch it. If yeah, definitely. It. If you can get, if you can, you know, get your hands well, on it. Well, also I was mentioning earlier that I feel like we're at a time in the gay community where Tom and Finland images yeah. are very, yeah. uh, you see them a lot. Like it's yeah. just not really something that's as uh, fringe. Like yeah. it's a little more welcomed, uh, at least living in Los Angeles. Uh, all, Types of people go to places like the Fault Line and the Eagle now. So it's somewhat gentrified. And that's not how it used to be with the gay community. That you just had your little groups and you usually didn't leave them. Or you were sort of judged if you went to like a leather night if you were in the WeHo crowd. So I feel like there's some sort of progress has been made in the gay community with that. Would you agree? No, you're absolutely right. Um, Would you... Mike, would you say where you uh, where you are? It is are you familiar with like the nightlife scene? Is it kind of still segmented like that, or is it a little bit more open like it is here with it's, the different scenes? When it comes to like um, gay nightlife um, here in Atlanta, I mean there are like kind of like the usual basic clubs, you know, I'm sh- pretty yeah. much like ones that are in like in WeHo. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we have that's probably would be the most extreme would be like Swinging Richards. Oh but yes. we do have an eagle. Um, yeah. Oh okay. And the eagle would be the most I think extreme, and as another bar called Heretic. Um, but again, yeah, it's kind of just a mixed crowd. It's not like that members only type of vibe. Yeah. Like, Is Swinging Richards a, a strip club? Like which what? one? Swinging like, Richards. Yeah, that's a strip. Club. I was going to say, like, you see that in Portland. You don't see that here because there's, there's a lot of laws with, like, uh, like whipping out your dick when you're <laughs> on stage. So you don't really see it in Los Angeles, but you see it in places like Portland. Mike, have you seen the Swinging Richards documentary on Amazon Prime? I need to watch it. Um, is that the one directed by the guy from Bear City, whatever his name, Gerald? Something, I, something? I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes he place. Shot that, he shot that here. Yeah. yeah, it's that's here in Atlanta. Yeah, it's a. Ama- Did you have you watched it? It's amazing. <laughs> um, I put it on for a minute. Um, I wasn't <laughs> by like, amazing. Too intrigued by, yeah, the by amazing. I mean, no. Like, uh, yeah, it looks terrible. It looks like he made it on his like on a PC laptop. Like, what's it, it called? Oh, God. I think I've seen all it on Prime. Yeah, all male, all nude. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, but it's uh, it's set completely at swinging richards and i was just like <laughs> flabbergasted because we don't have male strip bars like that in la that's what's fun about going out in portland is that what's the what's the strip club in portland i can't even remember what it's called oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll it's a lot of fun <sighs> yeah i mean gay nightlife it's very it, it it is very segmented you know you can go, if you just want to go and dance and dance to like pop music you can do that if you just want to go and have a beer at kind of a more locals only kind of a place. You Rage can do that. just closed. Did you read that? I did. Yeah, Rage West is done. Hollywood. Not that we would ever actually go out to Rage. I have not, even if even if the bars were open. I've not been to Rage in uh, in. Uh, it's been a hot minute, and I think I lost my credit card last time I was at Rage. Jeez. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. 
They had a they had a good buffet. No, I I wouldn't know. But um yeah, I think cruising kind of yeah, I I would say it's important because just because it is this uh this portrayal, it's this snapshot of of a bygone era. Yeah, it's it's totally like a documentation, but like mm-hmm. I I wish more gays were interested. I mean, in the history of it, like yes. even Tom of Finland that you were mentioning, I'm like, cool, people know what that is, but do they know the backstory? Do you know they right. know, know the history behind it? Like, I'm personally interested in that type of stuff, but I don't know if others are. Hold on, yeah. I'm getting out my giant Tom of Finland I book, that book that I just bought. Went up to it's $80 it's on Amazon. like, oh my god, it's oh. like about 50 pounds. It's really heavy. I just got the giant Tom of Finland coffee table book, the, the Tashin Tom of yeah. Finland book. Yeah, it's a beaut. It is. I, it's pretty cool. I mean, I was. I felt like I was pretty familiar with Tom of Finland, and I opened up that book and was just like, I went and I grabbed a string of pearls and put them around my neck just so I can clutch them. I was like, oh goodness, there is some deep stuff going on. Did in you watch there. the Tom of Finland movie that came out like the serious biopic movie? I did, but for it's some a- reason, when you said about pearls, I was like, a pearl necklace? What are you really about to say? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something. And I mean, you're absolutely right. It is, it's kind of all over, at least in L.A., Tom of Finland imagery is all over just like every single gay bar. Its fingerprints are everywhere in and I think mainstream for, gay culture And now. I think for gays of a certain age, it's just like, well, you see it and you're just like, oh, yeah, well, that's just, you know, that's like gay bar art or whatever. But I don't know that kids of a certain age now had to really deal with a lot of shit that kids that people of another age had to deal with. So they don't really do the research or, or know the history, which they should, you know, because it's important. Well, and even when it comes to, like, you know, the name of this movie, Cruising. Yeah. I mean, and it's a cruise for sex back then. There wasn't a grinder or the internet back yeah. then. I mean, do you guys remember when there was no internet? Oh, my goodness. I sound, oh, God, I don't know why I said it like that, but, you know. <laughs> or, I mean, the very, very early days of, like, AOL chat rooms and things like that, where it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, you sound fun. Where are you? Uh, freaking Chicago? Oh, never mind. <laughs> you know, it's like... Want to have phone sex? Yeah. ASL. Um, <laughs> yeah. all, of the, all of the notorious cruising spots of Los Angeles, like borders like people, in Sunset and Vine. And like Vaseline alleys. Every city had a Vaseline alley, you know, where it was like behind the sex shop or behind the gay bar. Ugh, cruising. I read cruising some, now. I read something online that because the bars are closed, that like Vaseline alleys are becoming back, you know, that like in West Hollywood, the old like locations that were these alleys behind bars and behind porno theaters and stuff are actually be are actually coming back because these guys are cruising them again because you can't cruise in bars anymore um because you know because of all the like business closures and things but i feel like people are still kind of hooking up on line right now which is like whatever do your thing but COVID wear, loads, it's a thing. Wear a mask. Yep. <laughs> wear a mask. Make a glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just make a glory hole. Make a glory hole. You got a bed sheet. Make a glory hole. 
Let me cut a hole in it. It's a ghost. Do you know um, what I mean? Yeah, it's like, are you, are you, is it a spooky Halloween costume or is it a, is it a hookup? I don't know, maybe both. But hey, if you're gonna do it, be safe. It's our new like, are you negative? It's the are you negative of 2020, right? It's crazy, but it's a new kind of reality that that is happening right now. So that is some straight people. That's some real talk. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, my mom does listen to this podcast every week. Hi, mom. If you're listening, this is gonna be an interesting episode for Lori. We'll tell we'll tell Lori to skip cruising. I'll give her a little heads up. It's a little cray. It might be educational, but Too real. you also may want to skip this one. Too real. <laughs> we'll it, go, it goes with the movie. It goes we'll, with the movie. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but we'll also we'll also give out some timestamps. Skip ahead twenty seconds at uh, <laughs> I mean, at the one hour mark. But that's that's <laughs> the thing that, that makes the gay being gay fun is that just blowing straight people's minds I about agree. just the day to day conduct of gay men. I agree. This is this is the episode where we're giving away all the secrets. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, we're giving away all the gay secrets on this episode. I'm gonna put a disclaimer. <laughs> okay, well, we should probably uh, talk about if we have any final thoughts on cruising and um, this kind of uh, this piece of history, really. Hmm. Scott, do you have any final thoughts on cruising? Yeah, I think it's interesting when you try when you revisit the movie kind of knowing that it has this reputation. It's interesting that it's not as shocking as you might think it would be or it's yeah. not as homophobic as it's made out to be. Right. That this is just a very like this is a slice of the gay community from the late 70s that does not represent it all as a whole and it's just kind of fascinating just to see it. Mike, do you have any final thoughts on on cruising? Do you recommend people to watch this movie? Yeah, just yeah, I definitely recommend the movie just to be open minded about it and don't. I don't want to say don't take it so seriously because it's yeah. a very bleak movie, but um, just appreciate it for what it is at its skeletal form of it being a murder mystery. Um, because even watching it now, like it's in, it's funny because like watching it now, I'm like this kind of feels like an Italian Jallo to a degree. I mean, a hand yeah. is floating in the Hudson that is found, and that's how the mystery begins. So it, it, have fun with it. You know, that's what I recommend. Not the type of movies that studios make now, starring Absolutely a major movie not. star. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. With uh, I buy what both of you are selling. <laughs> I would say that what kind of dates the movie the most, I don't know if you would even say dates the movie the most, but you can see that it's definitely a product of movies made in the mid to late 70s, that it's very like psychologically driven, that you're seeing uh, Al Pacino's character kind of uh, go to the deep, dark right. rabbit hole yeah. rabbit hole of this universe. That's super it? 70s. What is it? Faust? Yeah. Is it his like Faustian journey mm-hmm. into the underworld? Yeah, yeah. I but like you used it. to see movies like that a lot in the seventies. It, it, yeah, but it's so cool. I mean, I love the scene in this movie where he's in the bar and the guy asks him to dance and gives him a mm-hmm. handkerchief that's soaked in poppers and he's getting mm-hmm. fucking high and he's looking over at the guys that he suspects might be a killer or killers. And I just think and he and he's dancing like 
crazy like he's gyrating on the dance floor i love that moment in this movie al pacino is committing to that scene yeah it's almost like borderline funny the way he's dancing from like our perspective now yeah looking at it in the perspective of this film it's 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 good he's just letting go he's seeing guys fucking he's seeing a guy getting fists he's seeing guys making out like he's like that's sensory overload just this like imagine being a straight guy just this masculine energy yeah yeah yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I do love that scene. Mm-hmm. The whole uh, handkerchief soaked in poppers situation, yeah. too. That's like insane. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. But yeah, it is, again, it's that thing where it's just like, you have to imagine this is like a straight New York City cop that's just like, fuck it, I'm here. Like, let's, you know, you just got to like let go and, and immerse yourself in it. Yeah. I mean this this movie's a lot it's a lot to take but I think if uh if you kind of are familiar with gay culture if you're immersed in it then it's definitely something that you need to that you should check out it's 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 layered it's got a lot going on but I'm glad that we that we got yeah. to it on this show Yeah for sure for I feel sure. like it's an important movie to talk about Yeah I mean we won't even get into like James Franco and that whole deal Oh, interior leather bar. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. That's an easy wrap-up, though. Like, <laughs> Did anybody see that? I didn't see, I it. didn't see it. I threw it on for like a second. I was like, this is bullshit. And I just <laughs> turned it off. I was not pleased with it at all. Because it was like, cruising was supposed to be like 40 minutes had been deleted. And then... Yeah. Basically, James Franco was like, I want to do a movie about the 40 minutes that was deleted from cruising. And William Freakin was like, it was porn. I literally overshot like the 15 scenes mm-hmm. and the scenes so the MPA wouldn't be on my ass so we could cut it down. Ah, and he was like, oh, smart. okay. That's actually a pretty smart tactic because it seems like... It's you, one of those ways to get around the MPAA. You give them too much so that when you take it back, they're yeah. like, oh, better. Sure. I get it. And you don't want to cut stuff that's like... Important. Important to the plot yeah. and to follow it. Well, well, there's a funny story that freaking talks about in the commentary about how he sp- gave this a private screening to the head of the MPAA with all of it in it. Everything. Yeah. Close-ups of fisting. <laughs> like, um, you have to shock them right out of the gate so they're when you pull back, they're going to be like... Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny because like the producer, uh, I want to say his name is Philip Dionato, he um, and freaking were there having dinner actually with this person that they knew who was the head of the MPA. And they screened it, and they would hear him, like, listening to the movie. And he'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then he would take off his jacket because he'd be like, oh, God. And he'd be like, oh, no. And then he's like, the producer would be like, Dick, what did you think of this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Knowing full right that, like, there was no way it's going to pass. Super smart. Yeah, totally. I love that. I feel like you couldn't get away with that shit now. No. Oh, man. Mm-mm. Oh, well. I mean, this movie, it's a trip, but, you know, it's definitely worth worth the watch or the, or the rewatch, really. Um, do we have anything else? I don't think so. I don't think so. Mike, this has been a lot of yeah. fun. Tito, I've enjoyed this. This has been yeah. fun. Yeah, we'll have you sure. back on eventually for yeah, something. of course. <laughs> Maybe something a little lighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I know this was kind of a bleak one to the record. No, but it, but uh, it, but it's a lot of fun talking about just how crazy and and out of control this movie is. But thank you so much for coming on our show for a second time. 
all-star. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And um, we'll definitely, like Scott said, we'll definitely have you on again. Thanks for coming and good on. good night for me. See you later. Yeah, good night for you. And um, have a good one. We'll see you soon. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. It's time for our Patreon shout-outs. Yes. It's time for our Patreon shout-outs. Scott, would you like to read them all today, starting from the bottom? Yes, we'd like to shout-out Mitchell Ralston, Rufino Kabang, Kabang, Christine Alsher, Nick Thomas, John Miller, Jessica something, Jim and Melinda, Aaron Bent. So... Fun fact about Erin Bent. <laughs> I went to homecoming with Erin Bent. Aww. She was my homecoming date. Thank you so much for supporting us, Erin. Thanks so much, Erin. We love it. And, and our newest... Our newest just newest patron, subscribe today, M... M. Lamelli. Lamelli. Yes, indeed. Thank you so Thank much, you everybody. Thank you so much. And patrons, check out your inboxes. You got a new newsletter. We've just decided that for our $5 a month patrons, that's what? One trip to Starbucks? Oh, $5? Starbucks is even more. Yeah. So skip Starbucks once, and what do you get? You get two newsletters a mm-hmm. month. Two newsletters a month. Get out of here. We just sent out our second newsletter for the month of September. It's super duper fun. It's really funny. We've got some really great stuff in our second newsletter. And um, yeah, you're going to get two newsletters a month. I know we said one newsletter a month, but hey. There's too much news yeah, for one a month. And we're having lots of fun writing the newsletters. So uh, the second one went out today. So check your inboxes, patrons. And um, we're also going to do our second... We're going to be doing our second movie commentary for the $10 a month patrons. Our second watch with us. We originally said one watch with us commentary per month. But we're going to do two again. A month, we got plenty of time on our hands. And for October, so, hey. I think that we're just going to release our Psycho episode for patrons. Yes, indeed. That we recorded with the intention to have it on be released on Halloween, but we were just so exhausted yeah. last year that we just didn't get to it. So it's going to go up on our patron. Do you want to give all of our patrons the Psycho episode? Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Sure. Everybody all of our gets patrons. it. All, all tiers of, of Patreon, you'll get the Psycho episode in the month of October. How about that? So if you want to uh, contribute and support us on Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash movies that made us gay. It's as simple as that. You can also find us on Instagram at f- and Facebook at movies that made us gay. And you can find us on Twitter at MTMUGpod. Yes. And while you are on uh, iTunes podcasts or Apple podcasts, you should. Write us a review. We'll read it on the show. Yes. Any new reviews that we get on Apple podcasts, we'll read on the show as a little shout out to you. You don't even have to contribute to Patreon. And if you don't have Apple podcasts, drop it in off Facebook and we will read it that way like we did yes, Christine's. exactly. If you're a, an Android user and you don't have Apple podcasts, send it on Facebook. Send it in an email. Put it on Instagram, and we'll still read it and give you a shout out. How about that? So, we love all of our patrons. We love all of our fans. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.